Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Mr. President, starring Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's Edward Arnold. Mr. President, at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. Before we bring you Edward Arnold as Mr. President, let us make a point or two. Rarely before in the history of our country has the office of the presidency been of such vital importance in time of peace. This is due, of course, to the fact that this year we shall exercise our democratic rights in choosing a man who will be president of all of us for the four years beginning at noon on January 20th, 1949. Into this important picture enter the Mr. President stories telling in warm human terms of the adventures, the troubles, and the joys of the men who have held the nation's highest office. What's more, you, our listeners, have the added thrill of testing your historical knowledge when you try to identify the president of each story. Test your knowledge now by listening to the Mr. President story which follows. In just a moment, Edward Arnold. Edward Arnold as Mr. President. Let's visit him in the White House. It is Sunday, and the old mansion is resting quietly after a busy week. We walk through the great doors under the presidential seal, across the foyer, and down the long hall to the president's study. Oh, come in. Come in. Sit down, won't you? You know, I'd like to say that if the adage, all's fair in love and war, is correct, it's just as correct to say that all's fair in love, war, and politics. <laughs> and while we're on the subject, politics takes good generalship, tactics, strategy, surprise attacks, just as war does. And that, of course, is what the story is about. Later on, I'll tell you which president was such a smart political general, but meanwhile, you may be able to guess. Come in. Come in. Excuse me, Mr. President. He, uh, he's here, sir. Here? Who's here? Oh, my successor. Good, good. I'm ready for him to take over. Arthur! Arthur, come in! Mr. President... No, no, no. It's just plain general from now on, Mr. President. Mr. President, sounds strange to be called that. <laughs> I have you to thank for it. Just do a good job and forget who you have to thank. Well, I'm all packed. Are you ready to take over? Yes, sir. Then let's get out of the way, Miss Sarah, and let Arthur go to work. I hope I can do as good a job as you did, sir. But believe me, I know I'm stepping into a difficult spot. Country's bound to miss you, sir. Oh, they won't miss me completely, Arthur. You know, once you've been president, you may still be able to pull a few strings without holding the office any longer. <laughs> I see what you mean, sir. Are you ready, Miss Sarah? Ready, sir. Then let's leave this creaky old house to poor Arthur. <laughs> Who thinks I did him a favor? <laughs> <laughs> 
After my successor served his term, the opposition elected a man who made a good president. But after a few years, my party had to think about getting back into the White House. So one morning in January, the leaders of my party in my home state gathered for a meeting with me in my own home. gentlemen. The president will see you now. Good morning, morning sir. Uh, this way, gentlemen. Thank you. Oh, come in, everybody. Come in. It's good to see you all. Frankly, you don't look like a group of rascally politicians to me. <laughs> You're looking fine, Mr. President. Aren't you ever going to understand that I'm not Mr. President anymore? Why do you all insist on continuing to call me that? Old habits are hard to break, Mr. Uh, <laughs> well, no, that's enough of this. We've work to do. When you want to make a president of this country, you've got to get up early. Early in January, that is. <laughs> What's on the agenda, sir? Well, I think first we've got to straighten out uh, the little matter of the choreo. Something wrong with our newspaper, sir? Yes, the editorial policy has been all right, Laughlin, but the editorials themselves have been terribly weak. Well, not much I can do about that, Mr. President. The editorials are written by Mr. Hogan. He's a senior partner. It's his own paper. Uh, supposing the party offered him some financial support. You're making sense, Governor. I imagine the financing might be arranged. Any ideas who might be the writer? Well, obviously Sam Laughlin here. Well, if Hogan will accept me. He'll have to accept you. You're on the staff now. And I'll take personal responsibility for what you write. If I'm to take over, uh, whom shall I list at the top of the party list in the courier? Well, Arthur Vandegrift, of course. Is there anybody else? Mr. President, we know how you feel about Van. After all, you made him president once. And I expect to make him president twice. Uh, some of us, uh, how shall I say it? Some of us have a feeling just a little close to distrust of Van. You what? He's been awfully shaky on the United States bank business. And more important right now, we still don't know where he stands on foreign policy. He's never committed himself, either for or against the country's expansion of its boundaries. Well, you know where I stand, gentlemen. Well, of course, well, absolutely. That's where Arthur Vandegrift stands. You may depend on that. We hope so, sir. You've been very silent, Governor. Have you any doubts? Well, I'm in rather an embarrassing position, Mr. President. How so? As you know, there was a state committee meeting last night. Uh-huh. Well, what happened? The committee decided to put forward only one name for the vice presidential nomination in this state. Whose? Mine, sir. And as regards first place on the ticket, the committee decided again unanimously that because of Mr. Vandergriff's silence on the foreign policy issue, this state should have an uninstructed delegation at the convention in Baltimore. Laughlin is here to see you, Mr. President. He says it's urgent. Now, ever since Sam Laughlin became editor-in-chief of the Courier, everything is urgent. <laughs> All right, have him in, have him in. You may come in, Mr. Laughlin. Thank you, Miss Sarah. Big news, Mr. President. Is that so? Yes, sir. Just had the message. Thought you'd better see it first. Well, what'll you fellas do when I'm gone? You'll have no one to do your thinking for you. <laughs> Maybe I ought to run for a third term myself. <laughs> well, let's have it, Sam. Let's have Senator it. Senator Carter has issued a statement on foreign policy. There's not a single doubt in Washington that he'll be our opposition candidate, so it makes important reading... What does he say? ...that he is against any move toward further expansion or annexation on the part of the United States, which will antagonize a foreign power and lead to a war. What else would he say? He knows where we stand on the growth of the country in spite of any kind of opposition. So, of course, he takes the other side. Well, he knows where you stand, sir. And Governor Powers. <laughs> which is your political way of saying that Arthur hasn't committed himself yet. Huh? No, sir. <laughs> Unless you've had some personal word from him, sir. Oh, it's probably in the mail now, Sam. Well, I hope so. I most urgently hope so, sir. More and more states are sending uninstructed delegations to the convention. 
And only because Mr. Vandergrift hasn't taken a position as yet. Mm, what other position than ours can he take, Sam? Now, be a good fellow and run along back to your newspaper. Write a good, strong piece, something Carter soundly. You know, America's place in the world demands action. We cannot stand by and see our national prestige threatened. America's march and the march of democracy was never stopped. Huh? You know how to do it. Yes, sir. Thank you for your time, sir. Now, Miss Sarah, I'll show you out. No, no need, sir. Thank you just the same, ma'am. I know the way. Oh, Miss Sarah, almost like the old days in Washington, isn't it? Yes, sir. Do you expect to hear from Mr. Vandergrift, sir? I wish I did, Miss Sarah. You know, that gentleman has put me in a very embarrassing position. Well, I'm sure he doesn't mean to, sir. I'm not so sure. He has all the stubborn pride of a Dutchman plus a Yankee streak of willfulness. He's been president once, and he figures in... He's deliberately not contacting me because he wants to run the show himself. And after all you've done for him... Politics knows no gratitude, Miss Sarah, unless there's a vote to be had on one side or a job on the other. Is there anything you can do, Mr. President? Not at the moment. I'm caught if I do and caught if I don't. The one thing the opposition is waiting for is to some move on my part that will split our party. But there's some fight in the old boy yet, Miss Sarah... We'll pull this out of the fire. Just see if we don't. <laughs> come. Come in. Oh, Aaron Brown. By all that's good on this earth, how are you? Well, Mr. Vandergriff, well. And you, sir? Same. What brings you here? You have one guess, sir. <laughs> sure thing is no guess. Politics. You're right, of course. Central party politics. The foreign policy issue, to be perfectly frank, Mr. Vandergrift. And like all the others, you want to know where I stand? Yes, sir. With Great Britain showing a deep interest in the matter and a decision imminent, if not already forced upon us, well, you understand, sir. Perhaps better than some. I have come to the conclusion that this matter is of such import that it ought to be taken out of politics. But I'm afraid I don't quite follow. Simple enough. Our national prestige is at stake. I don't think we ought to make a political football out of our foreign policy. But how can you help it? Under our system, the voters that have... That is of no importance. In domestic issues, let them have a voice. But on this matter, I believe a bipartisan stand is essential. So I've written a letter to that effect. But such action will split our party. Only temporarily, Brown. There you night behind me after the first shock is over. Uh, may I know what you've written, Mr. Vandergrift? Of course. I wrote that I do not consider this time for further expansion. What? Such action would bring on war. And I ask, if we could hope to stand perfectly justified in the eyes of mankind for the appropriation to our own uses of the territory, the sovereignty of which is in dispute between two nations, one of which we are to join in the struggle... Why, your stand is exactly that of Senator Carter's. Sir, I beg you, do not send that letter. I have already released it to the papers. That letter will appear in full in the Washington Globe tomorrow morning. Done it, I tell you. The party's split five ways from Sunday. Give the letter to the Globe. That ties it all right. Frankly, it's no more than we expected. For heaven's sake, Governor, how can you take it so calmly? You may have to be Vandergriff's running. Gentlemen, mate. gentlemen, there's not much use in wasting our energies on each other. What do we do, sir? There's only a couple of weeks until the convention. May I suggest, Mr. President, that you have Laughlin here publish a letter in which you disavow Vandergrift. If he did publish it, even if I asked him, I'd fire him personally for ineptitude in politics. We are rather in a bad position, Mr. President. If we publicly repudiate Mr. Vandergrift, 
The people will laugh at us as a party and elect Senator Carter. Exactly, Governor, exactly. I've seen you in some rages, Mr. President. Frankly, I don't understand your attitude. And at the time... Hello, listen to me for a moment or two, will you? You may learn something. I'm as much against this bipartisan nonsense of Arthur's as you are. And I'm certainly hopping mad over his behavior towards me. But I will not lose my head. Mm, Yes, sir. Sorry, sir. And I will not have a party that I have kept together with spit and prayer, wrecked either by my upstart protege or by my hotheads around here. Now, listen. Mm, Yes, sir. I'm very good. Our convention must nominate with sufficient unanimity to ensure wholehearted support. Therefore, we adopted the two-thirds rule. Nomination only by two-thirds vote. Arthur may have enough strength to get himself two-thirds. If so, we'll go along with him. If not, well, (laughs) then we'll open for the stable, gentlemen, and and enter a dark horse. (laughs) In just a moment, we'll come back. To Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Most of you listeners are well aware that millions of people in Europe are seriously in need of food and clothing. But not all of you are completely familiar with CARE, C-A-R-E. This is shown by parcel post figures. You see, exclusive of CARE packages, private persons sent $250 million worth of relief and gift packages to Europe last year alone. Now, CARE buys its supplies in huge quantities and operates on a non-profit basis. For $10, CARE sends by airmail one of nine different types of packages to whomever you designate in 15 different countries. Just send $10 to CARE, New York. Give your name and address and the name and address of the recipient. You'll receive a signed receipt upon delivery. Remember, send more for less through CARE. Now, back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Permanent chairman, keynote speech, platform committees, and roaring, cheering delegates. I didn't go myself, nor did Sam Laughlin. But apparently the usual good time was had by all at the convention. And as usual, the real politics were played in the delegates' headquarters in convention hall. And in the rooms, the smoke-filled rooms of the Baltimore hotels. As I remember it, it was the third day in the convention. In the jam-packed hall, the speaker was trying to make himself heard. And so, my friends, fellow believers in democracy... In the triumphant glory of our great nation, I place before you the name of a man who has filled the great office of the presidency before, the man who will be the next president of these United States, Arthur Bandersley. George, well, they're making a great try to stampede them. That's a good start. I don't know what to say, Aaron. I hope my bunch can hold the line. There's still that two-thirds rule. 
Sounds like more than two-thirds of the delegates are parading this minute. Doggone it, Governor. I still think if you let us put your name... My own state chose me for second place on the ticket. I'm satisfied. You can be president, Governor. From the sound of that demonstration, we're nominating Vandegrift. If we do, we won't carry six states. After that letter, Arthur Vandegrift couldn't carry his own suitcase. I wish the old man were here. Can't we get instructions from him? Any ideas on that, Governor? Well, I, I suppose I could send a message. Why don't you? Go ahead, Governor. It can't do any harm. Meanwhile, George and I will try to keep a third of the convention from going completely crazy. Well, I'll see what I can do. You'd better get to work. They're hooping it up like Indians. Now, it's my turn to ask it. Well, Aaron? <laughs> the Governor plays it casually, doesn't he? He wants the old man in his corner. George Pillow, my friend, do you know what you've just witnessed? Yeah. You tell me, Aaron Brown. <laughs> you've just seen the first step in the unwrapping of a dark horse. Shake on that. <laughs> Shake. <laughs> <laughs> Vandegrift got the third. What? Adams and Peters pulled ahead of him by a handful of votes. Van must be furious. Serves him right for crossing the old man. Oh, this can go on forever. Two-thirds, two-thirds. Not one of the four of them can get two-thirds unless Clark throws his votes to Van. Never. I got that one sewed up nice and tight. Oh, once and for all, Governor, will you let us place your name in nomination? Once and for all, George, no. Not without approval from the old man. Under no other circumstances? Right. Governor, how about a draft? Yeah, what about a draft? Look, gentlemen, I'm a practical politician. Don't talk to me about a draft. But suppose, just suppose there were one and you were chosen. If the people really wanted me, if I felt certain of that, I couldn't very well refuse, could I? Answer Governor Powers. This is the third message in three days. Or is sir. it the fourth and four? The boys must learn to stand on their own feet. But he's asking your preference only out of respect for you. You know, Sam, for a political writer, you don't show much understanding. He's fire in your words, yes, but political understanding, oh, there's hardly any. Why won't you support him, Mr. President? Oh, uh, look here, you two. Suppose I send a message saying, go all out for powers, fine man for the job. What would happen? Well, he'd be nominated like that. Probably. Then for goodness sake, why not? Because, my dear Miss Sarah, the minute I do that, I've taken sides officially against Arthur Vandegrift. 
Our party is then two parties, ours and Arthur's. And Jim Powers is caught in the middle. He's nominated, but he falls between the two stools. And he doesn't get himself elected. And please remember, you can be nominated a thousand times, but if you're not elected, you're not the president. Oh. Sometimes I think men are such devious creatures. <laughs> there, I'll agree with you, Miss Sarah. And the more politics, the more devious they become. <laughs> oh, we just sit tight down here. Yes, correct. We sit tight. But you know, Sam, I have a hunch about this. What do you mean? I have an idea. I have an idea there's going to be a draft. What's that, sir? The people will call. Oh. Now, I don't say the people might not need a hint or two. Uh, nor do I say that the hint may not uh, have been given and in the right places. But I think we'll just wait and see. You know, it's interesting to watch from a distance and pull a small string now and then. <laughs> you sent for me, Mr. Pillow? I did. This is Aaron Brown. Aaron, you know Dave Kearns, Massachusetts. Glad to know you, Kearns. Uh, how do you do? I must confess any reason at all to get off that floor for a while. Whew, seven ballots. Vandergrift way down the list. No break in sight. The break may be just around the corner, Kearns. Closer than you think. I wish you'd show me how. None of the names they're voting on will throw his delegates to anyone else. We know that. Indeed we do, Kearns. Indeed we do. However, there is such a thing as drafting someone. Someone acceptable to all the candidates and with some prestige of his own. Ah, I see what you mean. You're talking about a dark horse. But who? Governor James Powers, of course. And incidentally, we've heard from Wallace Thompson that the present incumbent in the White House may withdraw his third party from the race if we nominate Governor Powers. Ah, that sounds perfect. But uh, why do you talk to me? Surely you gentlemen are closer to powers than I am. That's just it. We're too close. A draft to be acceptable must come from an unexpected quarter, from a state delegation that one would least expect. You see what I mean? Yes. I begin to see, Mr. Brown. I begin to see. No. We have enough influence with the chairman to arrange for you to be recognized within the hour. The rest will be up to you, Mr. Kearns. Entirely up to you. <laughs> Six months later. Sam Laughlin? <laughs> yes, Sam. <laughs> George Pillow? Tired, but present. 
and the governor candidate for the presidency of my party. Ready for a big campaign, Mr. President. I don't know if I'll be elected, but the opposition... Oh, nonsense, Governor. You're practically in the White House now. It's a creaky old place. <laughs> I understand they copied it from a Duke's Palace in Dublin. Uh, I wish I were certain of election as you are, sir. Oh, tell him, Pillow, tell him. Very simple, Governor. The South backs you to the hilt on the expansion question. If it means war, they're ready and willing. And we've always carried the big cities in the North. It's an unbeatable combination, Mr. President. Hey, not yet. You'll jinx him. Well, to me, that title will always belong to the grand old man of the party. Nicely said, Governor. Nicely said. You'll go far, yes, indeed. Well, the last but hardly the least important member of our original circle, Miss Sarah. Hmm? Thank you, Mr. President. A message just came from Arthur Vandegrift, sir, pledging his support to the party and Governor Powers. Well, Good. Mr. President, well, I shall nice. take the liberty of thanking him personally at the first Of course, Governor, of course. Arthur Vandergift is a gentleman and a good loser. Of course, Miss Sarah, but I wonder what he'd say if he realized he never had a chance once that letter was printed. But, <laughs> but the convention, all those ballots, sir. <laughs> the 107th would have made no difference, Miss Sarah. Well, see here, here, what's been going on? I was drafted. I had no idea that Burns of Massachusetts was, was thinking of me. <laughs> you know something, Governor? Burns didn't know it either. <laughs> so don't look so concerned, Governor. I'm sure you'll be an excellent president, even if yours should become a wartime administration, which we pray and hope with all our hearts it never will. But <laughs> always remember this, my friends. A smart politician never pulls all these rabbits out of the hat, nor does he place all his eggs in one basket. Am I right, Miss Sarah? Yes, indeed, Mr. President. <laughs> probably figured out by now who I was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know, and I'll tell you the answer in just a moment. The ABC program David Harding Counterspy recently had a dual reason for celebrating. It had just finished its fifth year on the air and had been awarded a citation for outstanding contributions to interfaith understanding and brotherhood. The citation was made by one of the largest religious organizations in the country, a sample counter-spy script shows that while the entertainment side is kept in the forefront, the program still manages to combine themes of tolerance and good neighborliness as well. You'll want to hear every fast-moving counter-spy drama, a regular Sunday afternoon feature broadcast over most of these same ABC stations. Make a day to hear counter-spy today. Now here again is Edward Arnold. In spite of its modern connotations, today's story actually happened in 1844. Our Mr. President was the ex-president, but still the fiery leader of his party, Andrew Jackson. And the foreign policy issue that was the basis of the fight was, of course, the proposed annexation of Texas, which eventually did lead to war with Mexico in 1846. The governor in our tale was James K. Polk of Tennessee, Jackson's own state. His opponent for the nomination was the former president, Martin Van Buren. As you will remember, Polk was elected and was the leader of the nation during the Mexican War. So you see, politics haven't changed very much in over a hundred years. And what was true then is true today. That all's fair in love, war, and politics. 
Come and see me again next week, won't you? When we expect to broadcast from the convention in Philadelphia. I'll have another story for you about Mr. President that I'm sure you'll enjoy. Goodbye. appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of Homecoming, starring Clark Gable and Lana Turner. Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. It is produced and directed by Dwight Hauser. Miss Sarah was played by Betty Lou Gerson. This story by Ira Marion was suggested by incidents in and following the administration of President Andrew Jackson. Music was composed and conducted by Basil Adlam. Sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. <laughs>